This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Uh, just had a birthday a couple weeks ago, so birthdays are kind of an opportunity to think about your life and what you've done so far and what, you've got, what you can do with what you've got left of it. So it's good to uh, take a time now and then to just kind of get the big picture and think of what it is that we can do in life. Yeah, there we go. So I would have talked to you this morning about what I call the grand essentials of life. Actually, I didn't coin that term, but uh, it is a, a good way to look at things. And you don't have notes in your bulletin because I've only got three points and you'll remember them without notes. So just kind of think through with me as, as we go. We're actually going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Maybe the person next to you will share. There are Bibles in the chairs right by you. 1 Thessalonians 4, it's a letter very near the end of the New Testament. It's one that Paul wrote. But as I think through my life and what to do with it, um, I have always been helped by the words of a guy named Thomas Chalmers. He, was, uh, he lived in the early 19th century was a philosopher and theologian and preacher in the Free Church of Scotland. But I love what he said. He said there's just three essentials to life that make life meaningful and rewarding. You need something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. Now, that's not rocket science, right? Any of you probably could have thought of that. I'm sure Chalmers isn't the first one who thought of that. He's just the first one that I read that said it. So I thought, let me kind of think through my life, and if those things are happening, if I really have something meaningful to do, uh, do I have, does God give me people to love, and uh, do I have something to hope for? And if you have those things, regardless of what the other circumstances may be, you're really in pretty good shape. Think about how important these are. Think about the whole idea of having something to do. Um, recently, we've been, the guys have been looking through Pat Morley's uh, book, A Man in the Mirror, again, kind of studying through it. And I noticed there in chapters 5 and 6, uh, chapter 5 was, uh, Why Do I Exist?, and Chapter 6 was on job contentment. But the whole point of Morley in talking to us guys is we really need something meaningful to do. And we need to figure that uh, what we do isn't just um, what brings us satisfaction or acclaim or wealth or anything else. But is there something really meaningful we can be doing? That's at the heart of who we are as guys. And I can't speak for women, but I assume it's pretty much the same for them, maybe in some different ways, that it's important to have something to do. Somebody to love. Boy, we all want somebody to love, don't we? You know, to hear somebody say, I love you, there are guys that would leave Hatfield or Lansdale and travel all the way to California just to sit by their mom and hear those words, I love you. Jeff, right? And I know others. I know a young woman who, uh, who was kind of deprived from that, of feeling the love of family years and years ago. And now many years later, she's still kind of struggling with that, struggling with who she is, because there are some important people in her life that didn't tell her that, that she was loved. So that, that desire to be loved and to love somebody is really pretty strong. And that matter of hope is really important too, isn't it? I mean, hope is what we count on. There's a sense of hopelessness that often happens, I guess, in our day and age. Um, we traveled down to Philadelphia uh, recently, this, well, it's not that recently. It was to see the car show, so it was back in the winter. And I noticed that I, I don't ride the trains that much, but I noticed that every station there is this big uh, banner 
with a phone number to call for the suicide hotline. And when I inquired about it, I discovered that one of the new ways of um, ending your life these days is to walk out in front of a moving train. In fact, you know that's happened a couple times here in our own community. One of them, several months back, was the sister of one of my granddaughter's friends who stepped out in front of a train and took her life. Because apparently, at age 16, she was hopeless. And that's so sad for us to, to grapple with that. But hopelessness is a problem. We need something to hope for. So where do we go? Well, Chalmers helps us out a little bit. He points me in the right direction. But I think maybe the Bible would do a good job because what... Chalmers articulated in the early 1800s, Paul expressed years and years before that. And when he wrote to the the Thessalonians, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there it was. He talked to these Thessalonians. They're people who lived in a town called Thessalonica in what we would call, I guess, the northern part of Greece, also called Macedonia. And he had done ministry there. And he noticed that these, the, the gospel was making a difference in these people's lives. And one of the reasons he noticed it is because these three factors were really alive and well. That matter of having something to do, loving and being loved, and inspired by hope. So let's take a look at, just unpack that a little bit, because he spends a lot of the rest of this letter talking about these three themes. The first... Someone to love. He says this. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love, uh, or you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. He says, we need to learn to love. You would think love would come kind of natural, and I guess in some respects it does, but, but true love, love that's sacrificial, Love that uh, is for your benefit from me comes because of what God has done in my life. Um, More and more I've been learning this even in the experience here at Crossroads. Um, We've been here for about a year now and getting to know each other. And when I first came to Crossroads, many of you were strangers to me and I got to know you more and more. But recently, as I've been praying, I noticed that in my mind, I, was, I wasn't making distinctions anymore that I used to make. So I was still praying for Frank McRae. He's one of our Montgomery guys, uh, older fella, having some physical problems. Now I was, I'm still praying for him, still praying for Deb Rogers as she rehabs her knee. And, but then I also found out I've, I've been praying for Donna Serino in her eye condition. I've been praying for Henry Mumbauer and his situation. I was so excited to hear this week that there's some resolution coming there. And I all of a sudden started to realize that I wasn't making distinctions anymore because I had learned to love all you guys. Uh, so I think a lot of us are learning that. We're learning to love. And Paul says, that's good. You need to learn to love and encourage and strengthen one another and to learn it more and more. That's the other thing I noticed kind of about this passage is that it's something that we can learn to do and it's something that we can increase in. So love isn't just a static commodity. We can learn to love more and more by reaching out to others, doing practical things to help and encourage. When I hear there's a need, isn't that what your love and action program is all about? Learning to love. This opportunity presents to do something about it really specific. And then once you do, and here's what I find too, 
I start putting money in love and action. And that starts going out to minister to, to real needs. Uh, I start praying more. I, I pray for that person because something has been brought to my attention. I start praying for them more. And the more I pray for them, the more I want to know about them. So I go up to them and I ask them, how are those things going? How's your life going? Anything resolved? We're still praying for you. And more and more, I get to love them more because I've gotten involved in their lives by doing something practical. Paul says that's what we need to do. We need to learn to love. And then I think what will happen is our community will see that we love each other. That was one of the ways that very early on that people knew who the disciples of Jesus were, the followers of Jesus, because of the way they loved each other. And, and people in the community will see that. Now, some of them will be practical ways. We'll reach out to the local school or help somebody homeless in the community and all help out at Man on Main Street. But they'll, just, they'll start to hear how we love each other and how we help out each other. And more and more, they'll come to see us as a loving community. And they'll want to know more about that. So as we start to learn to love more and more, others will see that. And that will really make a difference. God teaches, God, God loves us. And he teaches us to love others. And because we love, we can now serve. At the end of our time together, our worship together, we're going to be spending time over here with communion. Remembering Jesus ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross. He loved us so much, he gave himself for us. That's how we know love. We know love not because it comes from us, but because he loved us. And that's how we learn to love. So even later by coming to the communion time and remembering his body given for us, remembering his blood shed for us, we remind ourselves of his love. And he has committed to teaching us to love, really love, not just in a selfish way, I was wondering, in, in the beginning of the book uh, of First Thessalonians, he mentions work first, work, love, hope. In this part later on, he changes those and he mentions love first, love, work, hope. And I was wondering why. I noticed that in the first part of chapter 4, he talks about something that's going on with them. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, and that means you should avoid sexual immorality. Don't behave like the other people around you behave. That's what he was talking about just before this command. So I'm wondering if that's why he puts love up front. He's saying, look, you see the way the world interprets the concept of love. You see how selfish it is, and in some cases how wrong it is according to what would please God. I want you to live to please God. So that begins by the way that you deal with your own desires and lusts and all the rest. Now, I want to talk to you about how you really love. So now he can take that and tell them how to really love. Loving isn't just about getting what you want. It's about pleasing God. Paul says this in chapter 2 when he's talking to them about how, he much, how much he loves them. Because we loved you so much, Paul's speaking about himself and his other co-workers who were with, them when he vis- with him when he visited Thessalonica. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. He said, that's what love is. I didn't just come into town and expect you to take care of me. I was there. I worked hard. Apparently, he actually kind of worked a part-time job in his trade so that they didn't have to support him so he could do ministry to the people of God. That's how much I loved you. And you need to learn others the same, need to learn to love others the same way. The other thing is we need something to do, something really meaningful to do. 
Make it your ambition, he says, to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. So something to do. He lays out what he expects of us in that learning to do something. He says, I want you to live a quiet life. I want you to uh, learn to mind your own business so that you may win the respect of others. I think he puts it that way because the culture in which they're living, there's been an ongoing struggle. He says earlier in the book, in chapter 2, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. And you even suffered from your own people, he says later. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. So this is, why, this is why I put it this way. I want you to lead a quiet life. That doesn't mean you don't speak up about your faith. I think that's clear. That's what he came to Thessalonica to do. That's what he expects them to do. I don't think he says just, just don't say anything about Jesus. What he says is, I want your ambition to be to lead, lead a quiet life, not a controversial or raucous life. I want you to lead a steady life, a steady, stable life. I want you to mind your own business and not intrude into others' affairs except to share with them the love that Jesus gives and to learn to work with your own hands. Because that's what you can do. And if you do that, you will win the respect of those outsiders in addition to providing for your needs. I've kind of thought through this idea of vocation and occupation. Uh, each of us has a vocation. Vocation, I'm told, comes from a Latin word. I'm not really good at Latin. I knew some pig Latin when I was young, but I don't think that's different. But I'm told that the word vocation, our English word, comes from a Latin word, which means to call or a calling. So our vocation is a calling. It's something that we were called to do, our, a purpose for living. Now, most of us also have an occupation, something that we do you know, to bring in the money and, and, uh, and keep things organized. But our calling, each of us, is to live for Jesus Christ in this life with whatever he gives us, wherever he puts us. Whatever that occupation or career is, our calling is to live for him. Now, that looks different for each of us, so each of you has to work this through. I guess the assumption would be, because you'd look at me and say, oh, but Pastor Jim, you're, you're a pastor, so obviously... The things that you do um, are, are always for Jesus, and that, so you look at this differently. You have your vocation, your occupation kind of sync up. Well, here's the, here's the thing I need to tell you. I, I think Pastor Mike would say this too. There are probably really big churches where all the pastor does is pray and read the Bible. I, I, there must be somebody like that. I don't know. <laughs> That's not true for us here. <laughs> Uh, this week, in addition to preparing a message, uh, you know, I, I sanded the walls, did some painting, talked to our lawyer, talked to the Pennsylvania Department of State, spent some time on the phone with our insurance company. I did all those things, too. None of, you know, I, I attended biblical seminary. They didn't teach us how to do any of that. 
I remember I told they did a survey, an alumni survey, a couple years back, and I told them, you didn't teach me to do about half the stuff that I do, you didn't teach me to do. <clears throat> but thanks for teaching me to study the Bible. <laughs> so you may think that, oh, we got it made, that's all we do. No, it's not true. We, we, we actually have to, uh, we're under pressure sometimes to find the time to spend time alone with God and to minister to others one-on-one -on -one with all the other uh, distractions of life. But we struggle for that time and we covet it because we know that our calling is to live for the kingdom and make an impact in the lives of the people that God gives us. And we do all those other things along the way just to kind of keep everybody on track, but that's what we long to do. And in your job, that's how it is too. Whatever your occupation, I know we have uh, carpenters and Finnish guys and accountants and engineers and scientists and all kinds of people here, but in your job, in your place, you are to do the very best that you can for the glory of God and also to be able to touch lives and touch hearts of the people with whom you work and who are around you. And the way that you do your work will win their respect and gain you a hearing as you share your faith. I read a story recently of a famous English pastor named Charles Spurgeon. Some of you may have heard of him, but um, his uh, church, this was young, he was kind of young in his career at that point. His church was receiving new members, and each of the members had to like, share their testimony of faith, how they came to Christ, and what a difference that has made in their lives. And he was kind of sitting in with the church leaders, and there was this one woman. She was just a, a simple house cleaner, uh, and um, she told about her conversion, and uh, Pastor Spurgeon said, well, can you give us some evidence that your life has been changed by Jesus? She thought for a minute, and she says, Oh, I know. She says, now when I go clean somebody's house, I don't just sweep the dust under the rug. <laughs> and Spurgeon said, she's accepted. Because he knew that that would only happen if this kind of transformation had been made in somebody's life. That she now understood that for her vocation, her calling, was to live for Jesus and serve him in this world. Her occupation was cleaning houses. And that's what Paul wants us to know. He wants us to have something to do. Not just to earn money, although that's part of it. Uh, money comes in, and that's how we provide for ourselves. That's all part of it, but we live for him. The third thing he tells us is we have something to hope for. And that's really the longest part of this passage. It's probably why this passage is generally known. Brothers and sisters, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who has no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of our Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage one another with these words. How exciting is that? What great news is that? I mean, if we, and I've thought about this a lot, because I, I use this passage a lot. One of the, I've done almost 100 funerals uh, since I've been at Montgomery Baptist. 
So I've thought about this passage a lot and talked to people a lot about it, about the hope that that departed one had and that they now have. But every time I go over it with somebody and think about it, I go, man, but I just wish that really grabbed my heart and soul like it ought. That, that it wasn't just on my deathbed that I needed this, but I need to believe this today, that all the things that I'm doing will make a difference because Jesus died and rose again. The one who loved us enough to die for us and whom we love back. The one who gives us a reason to love others. The one whom we are called to serve. He's coming back. And even if we die before he actually comes back, he will take us to be with him. So now we have something to hope for. We have a hope that we will be with him. We hope to be with those others who have preceded us into his presence whom we loved. And we hope that our work, well done, receives a reward. So that changes everything that happens in my life. It changes the what I'm doing today. It changes the who do I love. It changes um, the, the rewards that I receive for the work that I do. All these things are yet ahead of me. And I believe that. And that hope really changes me. Because we have this hope, and this moves into chapter 5 when you get a chance to look at it. Because we have this hope, we can endure any kind of opposition. And we can live alert and self-controlled, as he says later in that chapter. We can live a life that really matters because we hope in him. There's a lot of people, maybe there's somebody here today that has no hope. I don't know all of you. I don't know all of your stories. Um, and, and even the people, there's this interesting process, isn't there, when you get to know somebody, they, they let you in a little bit, and then, then a little bit further, and a little bit further as they choose. And we, I do that, too. We all kind of do that. Kind of, we're, we're careful about protecting really the really deep things. And so even though uh, I've known some of the people that are here for uh, 25 years, it's only been more recently that I've really discovered other things that they're struggling with and other areas of brokenness from their past and all the rest. And those things take time to learn. But we can together have hope in Christ and we can learn to love each other and work together. That whole thing of what we're to do, that work that we're given, that has changed in the last 13 months and will change dramatically again on the 27th of August when we move into uh, the other campus. Oh, incidentally, if you try to go there uh, uh, on the 27th um, or any time, the other thing that's wrong on the cards is we're not, our mailing address is not Lansdale. Our mailing address is Calmer, which is weird because we're not in Calmer. Calmer is actually in uh, Hatfield Township, and, um, and the zip code is 18915. So, that's wrong on your card too. So, if you, but if you punch, it doesn't matter which of those you punch in, it'll still land you at Bergie's truck dealership in Line Lexington. <laughs> so, you can put in the Lansdale address or the uh, Calmer address; it'll still put you there. So, anyway, but when we get there, we have the opportunity to do a new and expanded work and to do those for Christ. And it doesn't matter what our backgrounds are and our training and equipping. All of our talents, we use them well. But then God has given us gifts to serve. 
and we use our gifts to serve in the Church of Jesus Christ for the kingdom of God to make a difference there on Route 309 and all those surrounding communities and subdivisions for the glory of God. And as it turns out, a church like this has impact beyond just that little location because you know people that you impact their lives. We have missionary friends who are, are globally impacting the uh, gospel. We have the opportunity to do that, and we have something to hope for in him. As we move towards communion, uh, there's a really neat part of the passage in that final chapter in 1 Thessalonians. It says this, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, uh, alive or dead, we may live together with him. That's who we are. We're the family of God. Uh, Jesus Christ is our elder brother, and we have the opportunity today and next week and the 20th and the 27th and all the days after that to live with him and for him. He's given us something to do, each of us and together. He's giving, us, he's giving us someone to love. First himself, and then he teaches me to love you. And he's given me a hope that one day, whatever struggles I go through in this life, I will be with him, and he will show me how all the rest made a difference. Let's just take a minute to pray before we move into communion time. And um, if, if you're one who is still wrestling with this, maybe this whole thing touches you at the level of hope. You just kind of feel hopeless today or, or don't know what to hope in, or maybe you're just so cynical and skeptical that you don't even know if hope's possible. I guess that happens in our world today, doesn't it? Or you, you've just kind of lost the reason for doing what you do. You've been doing what you do, your, your career, whatever it is, for years now, and you've just lost the meaning of it. You don't know what it means. You don't know why you're doing it, except you know you're supposed to show up every Monday morning or whenever your shift is. And frankly, you've been hurt by so many people, you don't know who you can love and who will be safe to love. And if you're in that situation, you just need somebody to sit down with you and talk with you, pour your heart out to somebody and that can pray with you and maybe introduce you to the person who really will make a difference. Because Pastor Mike or I or Pastor Nick can help a little bit. You know, we, we want to be uh, Jesus representatives to just kind of get to know you and hear you out. But we know that the one who can really make the difference in your life is Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again and now ever lives and one day is coming back for us who believe in him. Let me pray with you. And if that's where you are, you just uh, spend some time where you are in your heart. Get together with one of us right after the service, and we'd love to talk with you about it. Thank you, Lord, for all of your many blessings. Thank you that you give us something to do. You give us people to love. Thank you for your love in Jesus. And, Lord, you give us something to hope for, a future with you in your place of glory. In the meantime, we remember what Jesus did at this communion time to reinforce our understanding of how much he loved us and how we want me to sacrificially love others and how the one who died is the same one who will come again. We want to live to please him until he comes back. Lord, I pray for those who are here gathered with us who 
came out this morning, maybe not even sure what they were looking for. There was just kind of an aching in their heart. By your spirit, touch them. Apply the truth of 1 Thessalonians to their heart that there are people that would love them. There is one who loved them and died for them. That their life can once again be restored to have meaning, significance. And Lord, that they can have a reason to hope. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.